Welcome to another UCTV.TV podcast presented by University of California Television. I come from a sort of pre-enabled uh, uh, era, but uh, anyway, um, <clears throat> so we, we, we generate power uh, in our business and uh, we're the folks that uh, have homeowners lined up to plunk down $20,000 on a PV array uh, for um, uh, most of whom probably wouldn't buy a compact fluorescent light. So uh, there is a mismatch, uh, if you will, and I'm going to try and address that mismatch today uh, and see uh, uh, if we can come to a, a meeting of the minds. But my basic message is going to be that, uh, that energy efficiency has got to be the cornerstone of what we're doing that photovoltaics uh, at the uh, residence and small commercial level should be a part of that, and that there's a natural synergy between the two uh, industries. And it's incumbent on all of us to figure out how to uh, nurture that synergy. <clears throat> so I'm going to push a button here. Yeah. This, oh, by the way, this is uh, some mumbo jumbo that our lawyers make us stock. Uh, <clears throat> so, since you've read and acknowledge, sign that you've uh, read and acknowledge that, push return. Um, I'll start out, though, with a little bit of history about sun power, since uh, this community may not be as familiar with us as, as, uh, <clears throat> as a, more of a PV-oriented uh, community. But uh, the work was really uh, funded initially by the utility industry and the U.S. Department of Energy, in fact, um, uh, Southern California Edison became one of our uh, sort of co-sponsors uh, at EPRI. And this was back in a time when uh, the vision for PV was going to be solar farms, uh, great giant uh, things in the desert that would be generating huge amounts of power and shipping it to the cities. Uh, and we envisioned a sort of dish-type application back then. I actually got involved in, uh, in building solar cells for such a dish, as you can see there. But the solar cells for that dish required very high efficiency, and it was out of that work that uh, the high-performance solar cells were developed, but all bite for concentrator applications. That market never materialized. So SunPower uh, became a sort of a boutique uh, supplier of high-efficiency solar cells to anybody that could afford very expensive cells, uh, like NASA, for example. Uh, and we built a solar-powered airplane uh, ray for them. But our, our big uh, breakthrough, really, uh, when we realized that the large central station market was long time coming, uh, was when we teamed up with Cypress Semiconductor. Cypress brought in a semiconductor manufacturing know-how to our technology. We married the two. They also, importantly, brought in $150 million to build a factory so that we could actually start making uh, cells, standard cells. You see the picture on the right of our cell, which is unusual in that all the grids are on the back. <clears throat> we, we began production late in 2004 and IPO'd in 2005. We're headquartered in Silicon Valley. This is stuff that the CEO would normally be talking about, you know, uh, manufacturing in the Philippines, uh, uh, highest performing solar electric systems worldwide. And our sort of positioning is that we like to deliver the most energy per unit of land or per unit of module uh, area. <clears throat> um, 
Uh, we right now operate a lot of larger systems. We operate 500 systems totaling 400 megawatts around the world. We have a central control uh, system in, in uh, Richmond where we monitor the operation of all of those plants on a real-time basis. A big uh, change for uh, SunPower was when we merged with uh, PowerLight Corporation. PowerLight was a leading uh, system integrator building PV systems, uh, mainly for commercial applications, flat roofs, had some dynamite technology in that regard, basically owned the market. We uh, decided that uh, it would be best to vertically integrate through the value chain to better understand the customer and to help the uh, system integration aspect of the business reduce costs, which were sort of inherent in our sort of semiconductor background from the uh, solar cell side. <clears throat> As a result of that, we've had some pretty uh, dramatic growth uh, uh, with uh, uh, starting... Uh, with production in 2005, really, and uh, as you can see. So uh, enough about that. We're, we're kind of involved in all of the major photovoltaic applications, except uh, for watches and calculators and small uh, consumer items. Uh, and we divide those into the four sectors shown, shown here. The residential retrofit, upper left-hand corner. New home production, where we have a product that integrates in with the actual roof material. Uh, and, and it improves one of the uh, barriers to consumer acceptance, which is appearance of the array. Uh, in the lower left is uh, commercial building roofs. That's the Microsoft campus uh, in uh, Mountain View. And finally, the original vision was the large power plants, and those are now starting to, to emerge as a, as a viable photovoltaic market. We have a bunch of product families, uh, the, the flat systems for commercial roofs, uh, the sun tiles for the new home construction, and the tracking systems shown at the bottom are for large power plants where we track the sun throughout the day to, to harvest more energy. Um, one of the things that was kind of interesting was that when we first started producing panels for uh, residential roofs, uh, because we had all the grids on the back, a technical feature which was done for purely efficiency reasons uh, by, the by us engineers, uh, the panel ended up being quite better looking than a standard panel. And I'm sort of uh, embarrassed to say that probably more than half of the consumer acceptance drive for SunPower has been because the panels look better. Uh, and, <clears throat> um, and as a result, we, we uh, have the largest number of Cal California residences um, in just a few short years. Uh, we, as I said, we kind of specialize in efficiency. We think efficiency is a key parameter in this whole space. And now I'm talking about not energy efficiency, but the, the conversion efficiency of the panel itself. Uh, and this sort of illustrates that, where we have a commercial application, a flat roof. It shows uh, what SunPower is able to do in one application with 628 kilowatts of generating power on that commercial building. If we had used conventional silicon panels, it would have been about 410. And if we'd used thin film panels, about 204. So this sort of ability to drive larger generation on a given footprint of real estate is going to be sort of a feature as we try and see how uh, energy efficiency and, um, and solar generation merge together to sort of inexorably move us towards the goal of zero energy buildings which is the goal here. Uh, <clears throat> one of the reasons we merged with PowerLight is that we found that fully half the cost of a PV system was after you make the module. 
and uh, that that was where a lot of the low-hanging fruit in bringing the cost of PV systems down was located. So let me just uh, briefly just show some applications to, to sort of flesh out what these market segments look like. This is a residential roof. Uh, this is a sunset home, uh, demonstration home to show what you could do with energy efficiency and lead-type construction practices. Um, this is a picture of the new home construction. We have a 650-home uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, project in, uh, near Sacramento. This is one of those. Uh, this shows a commercial roof. Uh, and this is <clears throat> uh, covered with PV, typical application. And, and another commercial roof. This is one slide I generally show when I'm talking to politicians. Uh, that's the roof of the Department of Energy building in Washington, D.C. And finally, lots of uh, distributed ground-mounted systems. These are sort of small power plants in the 10 to 30 megawatt size range that are ground-mounted, not roof-mounted, but located generally uh, closer to load centers so that uh, you get some advantage of not uh, having to go on to long-distance transmission systems. Uh, there was a, a f an explosion of uh, construction in Spain last year, and some of these are, are power plants that, uh, that we built in, in Spain. Finally, the most amazing thing, I think, to, to casual observers of the PV industry has been the recent uh, emergence of the large, uh, almost central station-like PV plant uh, as a, as a cost-effective entity. Uh, and um, we recently signed a 250-megawatt agreement with uh, PG&E. Another company signed a 550-megawatt agreement with PG&E. So these are things that are happening. Uh, we signed an agreement with 35-megawatt agreement with Florida Power and Light, and I think this was the first time that a utility actually rate-based a large PV plant. Uh, they did not enter into a power purchase agreement. They bought the plant. And they bought the plant because they felt it was a cost-effective addition to their generation mix, given the other options that they were facing for uh, adding peak power. So that the climate has really changed. Uh, now, I'm not here to talk about large power plants, so this will be my last picture of a large power plant. But rather, let's look at the spectrum of PV. <clears throat> so starting on the left is kind of very small systems mo located on people's roofs. The next one over is a commercial building. The uh, interesting thing about the commercial building is that it's, it generates, you can put PV on the roof of a commercial building, it's very cost effective, but it doesn't generate enough energy to cover the load of the building generally. Okay, just, just a fraction of the load is available. On residences, you can often cover the entire building load on an annual basis. The next one over is a new emerging market. This is a large warehouse roof that where the warehouse itself doesn't really consume much power. So this is kind of like a power plant on somebody's roof. They're sort of loaning you their roof. Uh, they wouldn't be eligible for rebates under the current rate structure because they generate more power than they need. So it's maybe utility-owned. But uh, this is now an emerging sector in, in the business. And then I have the distributed ground-mounted and finally the large commercial power plant. So that's kind of the spectrum from small to big of what's happening in PV. And if you look at it, it kind of spans from a very distributed uh, model, distributed energy model, to a very central station model. The interesting thing is that um, we find 
that PV is, is sort of uh, equally well positioned along this value chain. And the reason is that at the very distributed model, we have higher cost of sales, higher installation cost, higher design cost. So the system's more expensive than a very large system. But the value of the energy is higher. On the other hand, with a very large system, we garner huge economies of scale, uh, but we're selling much in more into a sort of wholesale market. The value of the energy is lower in the middle of the desert. Uh, and those two kind of balance each other out. So we have an industry that's sort of feeling its way along this entire value chain, where the sweet spots are between the residents all the way up through the commercial and the large power plant. And there's no clear uh, best place yet along that value chain. So it's an exciting time, a lot of uh, activity going on there. If you step back, though, and look at it from the perspective of the grid uh, as a technical entity or energy supply system, you really should think of the small systems as more like efficiency and the large systems more like generation, at least in my view. Uh, and the reason is that at the home level, for example, uh, the grid really doesn't care too much whether you bought a new, more efficient air conditioner or put PV on there, right? I mean, you know, in both cases, you reduce the load something, right? Uh, and so it, it is like an efficiency measure, if you will. Uh, on the other hand, clearly a giant power plant in the desert <clears throat> uh, is a generator, uh, I'll bite one with a lot of problems associated with it because it kind of generates when it wants, not when you want. But uh, this, is, this is sort of what's happening. So if you look at it, there's a synergy between energy efficiency and PV kind of at the low end of this market, basically. Right? So where we're going in and sort of reducing building loads. In other words, there's an efficiency where we're trying to head there's a synergy where we're trying to head towards zero energy buildings and zero energy homes. And that's sort of the, the crux of where I'm going to focus uh, the rest of my talk. If you go into a building and you uh, look at what you can do to reduce the building load, uh, there's a bunch of options that you might have. You might be able to put new energy-efficient lighting in, HVAC upgrade, uh, improved controls. You can put PV on. That reduces the building load. And there's other things, too. And each of these has a sort of a uh, different return on investment profile. Now, now uh, each application is completely different. I don't mean to imply that... Um, Every case is going to look exactly like this. But the, but the message is that as you put in efficiency upgrades, some pay back shorter, some pay back a little bit longer, and you have this whole hierarchy as you march down the, uh, the curve there. But one message that I do want to show is, and I'll show you some case studies later on, is that on the bottom axis, the total energy delivered or saved by the particular investment, generally PV you can do the most. So I show here, of all of the options available to sort of uh, head this building in the direction of zero energy, uh, PV is the biggest energy chunk available. It's not the cheapest, but it's the biggest, okay? And, but and notice that I made the vertical axis return on investment. One thing that uh, we have to help customers understand is 
oftentimes they'll come in with a simple payback idea. You know, well, this, this thing, I can, why should I put PV on the roof when I can do uh, blah, blah, and it pays back in a year? And it may be that that's a better investment, but simple payback's not the way you should look at it because a lot of these uh, upgrades have fairly short lives, lifespans. Uh, PV has a quite a long lifespan. My, you can finance it for 25 or 30 years. Uh, and uh, so you really have to get out of this simple payback mindset and, and start helping the customer with the return on investment. And each customer has a sort of ROI hurdle rate that they're willing to deal with. They have money available, uh, they want to invest, and um, they expect a certain minimum return. And clearly, uh, they're only going to do those things that are above their return on investment hurdle rate. Okay, so some, uh, some things might get left off the table that they would normally like to do. But it's not quite so simple as that because of the financing options. So one of the nice things about PV when you go to a customer is uh, they're so imminently financeable with a power purchase agreement, for example. They have a nice long life. You can enter into a power purchase agreement. It doesn't take any of your own capital, and you can suffer, you know, benefit immediately from a reduced energy bill. Uh, and the reason that that is is because uh, you lease, the system is not owned by you, right? And so the uh, financier, if you stop paying your electric bill, he can come and get his PV array in principle. I don't know if that's ever actually happened. But that's different than insulation, for example, where you're not going to expect if you don't pay that the contractor is going to come and tear out your insulation. Right? So it's, hard, it's a different financing kind of thing. That may have to be done under uh, a completely different budget in a company. Uh, some of these things might be done under capital leases. So you have this sort of spectrum of financing options available. But one of the things that's made PV so uh, uh, easy to sell is imminent financeability. Okay. In, in addition, um, it's easy to tell if it works or not. Whereas some energy efficiency measures, that's less so. And we'll ta I'll talk a little bit about some of the things uh, that, that issues that that causes and what, what we're doing about it. So that brings up the question, why do you want to combine uh, energy efficiency and PV or solar? Uh, well, I, I mean, I don't know. These, these numbers are sort of given to me by a sales team or something. But um, uh, fundamentally, uh, uh, I, I think it... It's all heading towards that bottom one, which is everybody wants to go to energy-efficient designs, lead buildings, try to drive towards zero-energy buildings. And uh, you can't do it with either one alone, as, as you'll see. Very, very difficult. You need them both. They've got to work together. Uh, by working together, you can uh, often leverage uh, uh, your, your cost of sales and, and that sort of thing into a bigger project and garner savings there. Uh, and then you have all the sort of the, 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 the nice things, uh, electric rate uh, uh, hedging uh, and, and that sort of thing in, in the future. So uh, this just shows... Uh, a, a typical, this is also obviously just a sales slide, but um, it shows the load profile on the left there during a day, uh, electric power profile uh, for some particular customer. Um, and it peaks up at, at, during this, the center of the day because of air conditioning load. Uh, 
Um, with uh, solar added on, you can kind of go to that lower bottom there. You can pick up about half in, in this particular application. And then with energy efficiency, you can move that bar down even further. So on the right, the numbers for this particular uh, application where uh, the customer was spending $100.60 a square foot uh, per year on, on electric bills. Uh, with solar, he was able to decrease that to $1.20 per square foot uh, with PV. And uh, with energy efficiency, bring that all the way down to $0.95 cents per square foot. Uh, and, and this slide sort of captures some of those, uh, you know, those synergies, if you will. Uh, but <clears throat> this is actual uh, numbers here. So one of the projects that we did was with Macy's, um, I think 27 stores, and uh, so we have a lot of data. And um, uh, this uh, shows the overall result for that project. Uh, Macy's was spending $1.85 per square foot per year on energy. Uh, the solar system that we installed, on average, for all their stores, brought that down to $1.55. And the energy efficiency improvements that were uh, put in place alongside of that uh, brought that down to $1.15. In this case, the energy efficiency improvements were larger than the solar, but they, they don't always vary. But in any case, we were able to reduce Macy's uh, building load uh, 43% with this combination, a substantial improvement. And a typical sort of project um, financing looks something like this uh, for a typical store. The system might be 1.1 megawatts. The customer enters into a 20-year power purchase agreement. Uh, we go in and put in uh, new lighting, uh, efficient lighting, uh, new uh, up-to-date HVAC, various drives, energy control systems into the building. The energy efficiency part is generally financed with a capital lease, and the solar part with the power purchase agreement. So some bank owns the system, basically. Um, <clears throat> the uh, uh, annual electric cost for that building was $1.35 million. Prior to doing all this, they were paying, on average, 13.7 cents a kilowatt hour. And uh, <clears throat> the bottom line was the following. With uh, the, the uh, PV on the roof, we saved them 1.4 million kilowatt hours. The energy efficiency improvements were 800,000 kilowatt hours for 2.2 million kilowatt hours total saves. Um, the uh, <clears throat> uh, shows a cumulative. But the bottom line is that um, the net present value of all these projects is positive, which is you know the hurdle, if you will, at their discount rate. Actually, quite positive, and. The uh, energy costs are substantially reduced. Macy's went in this particular building from 13 cents a kilowatt hour uh, to 10.6 with these improvements. So there's this, this interesting synergy that goes on there. Um, <clears throat> the uh, uh, this just uh, kind of reiterates some of that. Uh, but what we find is when selling energy efficiency improvements, one of the big hurdles is you, you're selling something that doesn't really exist, right? You're selling megawatts, and it's hard to measure megawatts. Um, uh, if the building uh, consumption goes down, 
the, the owner of the building isn't sure, well, did they uh, turn off an air conditioner? Did they unplug something? Were people more conscientious about uh, lights being dimmed? Was it hotter or cooler during that period? So one of the things we've done is we've put together a, a modeling program to help customers uh, figure out, model their entire building energy flows, and with inputs like weather, uh, te outside temperature, solar insulation, uh, wind speed, and that sort of thing. And that allows them to do a baseline on their building and extend that out so that in the future, if, they're, if they didn't do anything and their energy consumption went up or down, they could pinpoint why. Was it sunny or hot or whatever? And when we do put the system in, uh, if the energy goes down, we have something to compare it with. So the building owner has something concrete to say, yes, my investment did do something. And uh, this shows uh, Maracy's Irvine store. Uh, so the, the blue line was the baseline we established for them. And uh, uh, th that's, what it that's the energy consumption they should have uh, had if they didn't do anything. The little vertical bars are actually, uh, this is actually just after installing new lighting uh, in this case. The little vertical bars are the actual uh, energy uh, uh, consumption that would have happened given the conditions that, that were prevalent on that day because it was, ended up being a hotter year than, than expected. And the uh, red bar is the actual building energy load. So the customer can look at that and say, yes, we have done something. Our energy has gone down. But every situation is completely different. This shows uh, a case of a winery where there's not as much opportunity for energy efficiency. In this case, um, the load profile is shown. And with PV, we are able to get the bulk of that peak out in the middle of the day uh, and take out a lot of the energy consumption in the building during the day. But with energy efficiency, which is the little orange part down below, not so much. Okay. Just... Uh, Another example. But they did uh, suffer a 50% reduction in annual electric bill from the combined aspect of PV and energy efficiency measures in that case. Um, this shows uh, another winery, which uh, we did a little bit more in. We put new lighting systems in uh, and better control system. And it shows uh, uh, the efficiency improvements, that, I mean, it, the load uh, reduction improvements that were, were garnered there. Once again, the uh, PV was the bulk of it, but notice that it really smoothed out the energy consumption from that building. Uh, it kind of pretty much uh, creamed off the, uh, the midday peak uh, of energy for the uh, St. Francis winery. Uh, we've done a lot of these things. We did the Moscone Center in San Francisco, where we put in... Uh, uh, lighting also, and, and work with the, uh, the convention center to improve the appearance of the booth area and the convention areas uh, while dramatically reducing their um, power consumption. So I think there is, in fact, lots of reasons for the, uh, the communities to work together. Uh, and uh, I, I challenge you to, uh, to do that. Uh, we certainly will reach out to the energy efficiency community as much as we can. Because uh, I think there's a, a lot to be done as we, uh, as we march together towards this uh, idea of zero energy buildings. So uh, 
with that, I'll say thank you and take any questions. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.